The second Bible reading is chapter 1, verses 19 to 27, which is found on the screen and on page 1266 of some of the Pew Bibles. James chapter 1, verse 19. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and, after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the, word, this, by the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Mark. Good morning, church. If you don't know me, my name is Bryce, and it's been a privilege and joy to serve as a student minister here for the past two years. And it's been so good that I've decided that I'm not going. And so I need your help. John's not here. Ollie, the new guy, is not here. And so I've decided after the service, we're going to have a quick meeting. You're going to vote Ollie out and put me in. But in all seriousness, uh, I think uh, Ollie is very blessed to get to call this church home next year, and I believe you'll be very blessed by his ministry to you. But friends, uh, we are going to come before God's word now, so let's pray and uh, come before our Lord. Gracious God, thank you so much for the privilege in this country to sit under your word in public every Sunday. We think, Lord, of those in um, the Middle East and other parts of the world, uh, and China as well, where uh, this is not possible often, and there is great danger in doing so. Father, as we uh, open the next part of James chapter 1, uh, we ask, Lord, that you would work in us by your Spirit to understand what's before us, and to, to accept it, and to apply it to our lives, Lord, because we can do nothing without you. And Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The question I have this morning for you is this. How do you know if you've got authentic faith? How do you know if you've got authentic faith? In 2016, the Australian, Australian Bureau of Statistics did a survey, and one of the questions was about religion, and they found that 12 million Australians said they believe in Christ, that they've got faith in Christ. That's over half of our nation claiming faith in Christ. But surely anyone can tick a census box. And so how do we know if the faith of all these people is real? How do we know if our faith 
is authentic? What does it even look like if we were to ask that question? Uh, is, it, is it about being baptized? Is it about believing the right things? Is it about knowing the gospel or knowing Jesus? Is that authentic faith? Some of you know uh, that I love imitating accents. And when I pull them off, people are impressed, even shocked. Sometimes I try this particular one line in Chinese. Here we go. 我可以说一点不痛快. Now that means, I'm sorry, I only speak a little bit of Mandarin. And I usually get two reactions. The first one is, wow, Bryce, that's really impressive. Or the second one is your reaction just then. You laugh and you cringe and you tell me how completely off that was. And of course you would. You know, those amongst us who speak Chinese, they know what sounds real and authentic and they know a, a, a poor impersonation. We hate, we hate it when we hear uh, fakeness. Authenticity matters. Like, what do you think of this? When a, a football team suddenly makes the grand final and suddenly a close friend becomes their biggest fan, you think, what on earth? This person doesn't even like football. What are they doing? It's so annoying, isn't it? When, when someone just jumps on a, a football team bandwagon, it's irritating. And maybe you're sitting there this morning thinking, football's irritating. I can't wait for it to be done. Well, be encouraged. The season ends on Friday. We hate it when people lack authenticity. But don't you think it's so much worse when a Christian lacks authenticity? I was on Facebook the other day and I was just going through my feed and I, I saw someone on there I used to know many, many years ago. And this woman, she's about my age. Uh, from my memory, she knew her Bible. She read her Bible. Uh, we used to talk about sermons. She'd heard the word. But, but as I was looking at her profile, I saw, or her picture, I did a double take. And it was a picture of her and another woman being married. I was speechless. I was speechless. But it's easy to judge. I wonder if we can all claim authentic faith. It all comes down to this. Do we acknowledge Jesus with our words, but deny him with our lifestyle? Do we have authentic faith? You know, us evangelicals, we love God's word, and the world knows we do. We're the first to stand for God's truth. We are the first to say Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But you know, as I read this morning's passage, it made me think. I spend all of my time in the word. I awake, I read the word. My, my, uh, my, my course is all about the Word. I meet up with students and, and the other congregation to read the Word. I lead a growth group to read the Word. I'm always immersed in it. I hear it, but how well do I live it out? Do we have authentic faith? And James chapter 1, 19-27 reveals what authentic faith really is. And it's summed up like this. Listen to this. Those with authentic faith do three things. They hear the word, they accept the word, and they do it. And so let's explore what it means to hear this word. Do you know the first Christians to hear this letter that is before you were like refugees. They were forced to leave their motherland 
and they were navigating the rough waters of poverty and oppression and persecution. And the verses before explore how to find joy in such times. And now in, in, in verse 19, James is changing topics. And this new one is summed up in two verses. Have a look at it with me in the text there. It says this. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. James is making an impassioned plea to Christians. Take note, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. And one verse before, in verse 18, you can see it there before you, James spoke about the word of truth. He spoke about the word of truth and now he's saying this, you guys are born again. You are the first fruits of the Lord's renewed people. If you're really renewed, if you're authentic, You've got to be quick to listen to God's word. To listen even under persecution, even under oppression, even in amongst, in and amongst trials. Because either you learn to listen to God with greater urgency or you listen to the words of the world. And that's hard, isn't it? You know, when we start feeling the heat like those people did, it's so tempting to stop listening to God and to start listening to others. But those with authentic faith will listen because they, they're convinced that that's the only, the only way to get through persecution. But there's more. Look at the next command there. Be slow to speak. Look around the room right now. Look at all the sad faces. These people are our extroverts. They like to speak. This is bad news for talkers. The one who's quick to hear is slow to speak. Do you see the contrast there? You see, normally people are slow to hear and quick to speak. But those with authentic faith are, are very different. James knew his scattered brothers and sisters were struggling to hold their tongues. The injustice, the hardship, and the persecution was that bad that it was really getting to them. But James insisted to them, and insist to us that no matter what our circumstances are, there is no excuse for mouthing off at people. But those who are quick to hear are slow to anger. The one who hears God's words controls their tongue and their temper. Can you see the connection between the three? Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. The person who works hard to hear God learns to speak slowly and control their emotions. And this is not normal. This is not the way of the world because those with authentic faith have a different operating system. It's as if they're like Android in a world that uses Apple. Just remember, Apple's landed us in this mess called sin, so the lesson is don't buy an Apple Mac. All right, that was a joke. But come back to the text. There's an old saying. We must never give the rules or instructions without giving the reason why. And this principle is in the Bible. Why should we be slow to anger? Verse 20. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. You see, that's the end goal for authentic faith. Giving God what he desires 
righteous living. In the end, we either produce righteousness or we produce sin. There's no in-between. And those who acknowledge Jesus with their words but deny him with their lifestyles produce sin. Those with authentic faith hear it. That's point one. But when you think about it, friends, anyone can hear God's word. Anyone can read it and read it every day. That's not enough to have authentic faith. And I think you know that this morning. That's just the beginning, surely. If you want to know the real difference between authentic faith and fake faith, look at verse 21 with me to find out. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. People with authentic faith accept the word. That's our second point. And he's saying there are four parts or aspects to doing this. The first one is preparing properly to accept that word by dealing with the dirt in our lives. He's saying, get rid of, get rid of the moral filth and the moral evil. What does that mean? James is using the same word filth in chapter 2 to talk about shabby clothing, dirty clothing. We see it in Revelation talking about moral shabbiness. And so what he's saying is this. You've got dirty clothes on. Get rid of them. The clothes that stink, that make you repulsive to God, get rid of them. And so it's good to ask this morning, what are the dirty clothes in our life that make us smell towards God, smell before God? Because whatever they might be, they have to go. They have to go. Repent of those sins before God and get rid of them. And after you've done that, come before God with humility. James says in chapter 4, God opposes the proud and shows favour to the humble. If you're ridding yourself, if ridding yourself of moral filth and evil is like pulling weeds out of the soil to prepare it, well, coming before God with humility is like laying the fertiliser. Here's the key. It's to be accepted with humility. It's all about the heart. It's easy, it's so easy to say, I believe the Bible. I believe Jesus is the Saviour. I think we all know it's an entirely different thing to let that go from here to here, to lay our pride and our ambitions for life aside and to let God's word have its way with us. See, this plant is a different sort of plant. We don't get to put the implanted word of God in a little pot plant that occupies a little part of our life. No, this seed gets planted centrally right here in the heart and it's meant to take over and grow into every single part, dimension of our life, changing our thoughts, our priorities, our actions and even our deepest desires and hopes. That's authentic faith. And what do seeds do? Well, when they germinate, they sprout and they become saplings and they create leaves and then eventually they produce something. They make fruit. The authentic Christian truly hears and accepts the implanted word. And that word can save, it says. Do you notice it says it can save? We often think of salvation as having happened. I've been saved. I became a Christian in whatever year. I'm saved. 
And in one sense, that's true. If we're Christians, we've been justified. But salvation is actually past, present, and future. We've been justified in the past. We're being made into Christ-likeness now, in the present. And one day, this work will be completed when Jesus returns in the future. And here James is using the aorist tense. He's talking about the present, the now. And he's saying we can expect to see fruit in our life now. And we ought to, even, in, even during our trials. And we've seen this idea before. This is nothing new. Jesus talks about it in Mark 4. There's the four seeds. And the fourth one is planted. It's accepted. And it bears fruit. I heard a story of someone recently who was married to a pastor. This pastor was very good at teaching the Bible. He'd heard the word. But the woman explained that more and more she wondered whether it was going from head to heart. And one day he upped and left and left for another woman. He'd heard the word, but it seems it never truly was accepted in his heart. He acknowledged Jesus with his lips, but denied him with his lifestyle. Make no mistakes, friends. Those with authentic faith hear the word and accept it. But after hearing and accepting comes action. We must be doers. That's our third point. James says that the person who's content with only hearing is deceiving themselves. Look at verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves. Do what it says. All the practical people just read that and they said, Amen, preach it. That's what you want to hear. But you didn't hear it because we're Presbyterian and that's just inappropriate. You don't speak out loud. Don't just listen. Do, James says. Do what it says. Look at how James illustrates in verse 23. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. James says that when we come before God's spiritual mirror, the word, there are two outcomes that we can, we can go down. We can deceive ourselves or we can be blessed. Deception or blessing. James is saying that the one who praises Jesus with their words but denies them with his lifestyle, that person is deceiving themselves. They look into that spiritual mirror. They can sense that they're fallen, but they walk away, they forget and they bear no fruit. But those with authentic faith receive blessing. Look at 25. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. See, authentic faith looks into the perfect law that gives freedom. Do you notice the word is now called the law? And this is probably deliberate. Christians are not meant to be anti-law, just because they're under grace. The law gives us the framework to live under grace. It's not the law of slavery. It's not the law of restriction. It's the law of freedom. And that's because we're only truly free. We're only truly free when we know the boundaries of right and wrong. A child is the most happy in life when, they, when the rules are consistent and the boundaries are clear. It seems uh, it goes against our assumptions, but it's true. 
Principled living leads to freedom. It leads to blessing. So if we have authentic faith, we must be those who hear and accept and do the word. But what does it look like to do the word? Look at the final two verses there. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. Look after the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. James wants us to see that if we're really born again and call God Father, as verses 17 18 say, then we need to resemble him. And we resemble him in three ways. Just as God reached out to us, his helpless people, so we must have compassion for the helpless. Just as God spoke the perfect word to bring us new birth, so we must use our words to bring blessing and not bane to others. And if we are the first fruits of the new creation, we must reflect that character of God in our lives. And so let's explore them. The first one is keeping a tight rein on the tongue. Like That makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? James expands on this in chapter 3, but suffice to say, God's people, those with authentic faith, have to have their tongues under control. It means not saying whatever comes to mind, but being slow to speak, to measure our words and say what will bless others. But I think the most interesting one is, is the next one, looking after orphans and widows. Like, Is it saying that we, we actually have to go out and specifically look for all the orphans and all the widows in Melbourne? And care for them? If you just take a moment to think about it, you'll actually realize what James is saying is this. We need to show practical care to the helpless. The helpless in that time were the people who were orphaned and the people who were widowed. And that's because they didn't have a a system uh, like, uh, what do you call it? What's the thing I'm thinking of here? A foster parent system. Where, where people would actually you know, uh, look after children who had no parents and care for them. And women didn't just go to university or TAFE and get high-paying jobs. Right? If these people lost their parents or their spouses, the harsh reality of poverty would result unless the church did something. And third, keeping unpolluted or unstained by the world. The world is full of sin. The more we let it influence us, the more polluted we become. And so the question is, how much is the world influencing us? We're thinking about the marks of authentic faith this morning. Hearing, accepting, and doing the word. But this leads to three questions for us to ask of ourselves. And the first one is this. Do we hear God? Do we hear him? I'm not saying do you hear his small, audible voice in your ear. I mean... Are we engaging with God's word and hearing it? Are we reading our Bibles? And if we are, are we paying attention? Are we taking it in? Or are we just moving the bookmark each morning a bit further? When we meet up with others to read the Bible, are we hearing what we're reading? When we're sitting through church like this right now, are we paying attention to the sermon as it seeks to explain and apply the text? Or are we just thinking about other things? And how, how is our hearing influencing our speech? Are we, are we finding that our speech is, be, is blessing others? Or is it hurting others? And what about our temper? 
Are we self-controlled? Or do we lose our control and our temper when people mistreat us in the workplace or in the family or at university or at school because of our faith? You see, the answer to those questions, your answers, will reveal where your heart is before God and whether you have authentic faith. And if we're hearing God's word, how are our hearts responding? Are we actually accepting God's implanted word? You see, the biggest barrier between my uh, the biggest barrier to my spiritual growth is me, and the biggest barrier to your spiritual growth is you. If we hear the word and our hearts remain cold, we will not change. I can assure you, the heart is the is like the epicenter of our affections. It drives all that we do and all that we care about in this life. And so every time we open the word, what's our heart doing? As we hear this sermon now, what are our hearts saying? How are we responding? Are we eager to put into practice what we're hearing? Or is it falling on deaf ears? Is there resistance? Is there anger? Can we sense a humble spirit in ourselves that wants, that wants this implanted word to have its way in our life? to have its way over our studies and over our families and over our hopes to be married and over our work and over our hopes for our children? Or do we reject it? But if we do accept it, do we do it? Do we find ourselves acting as our father acts? How are we going with our tongues? You know, it's good to remember why James wrote this sermon. God's people were scattered in places that did not accept them. God's people were largely poor and they were persecuted for following Jesus. God's people were lashing out and they needed to be told to trust God and control their tongues. Now I suspect most of us are far from poor. We're in Surrey Hills. But I'm confident that if we have authentic faith, we are finding ourselves more and more and more being wrongly treated for that living faith. And I'm aware that some of you, perhaps many of you, are facing a lot of pressure in your jobs to be unethical, to fudge the numbers, to cheat the customer, to abort the baby, to skew the data, to cheat an assignment. And you resist and you get mistreated and that's not fair. But if, we, if we're in that situation, we need to ask ourselves, how are our tongues responding? Are we giving in to temptation and trying to get even with them? Trying to force justice upon them? Or as the Bible says, are we using our tongue to bless those who persecute us? Because after all, our tongues reveal the state of our heart and whether or not we are children of God. And one more trait that reveals their identity is whether or not we have compassion for the helpless. And so how are we going at caring for the helpless? Who are the people in our circles that are not doing so well? Is it our grandparents? Is it our next door neighbor? Is it our classmate? Who has God placed in our life to care for and to show God's loving kindness to? As I wrote this sermon, it occurred to me that I see many of you living this out. Some of our Chinese friends are finding it hard 
to live here with poor English, they're helpless, they're vulnerable. And some of you have volunteered to teach them English. You are doing the word. Some of you are taking in our young people to live in, their, in your homes because living in their own home is impractical. You're doing the word. Some of you are involved in the homeless ministry, salt and light in the city. You're doing the word. But I wonder if we're still sometimes in danger of wanting the mouthpiece of Jesus rather than to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Don't get me wrong. Evangelism and edification are vital. But James says, so too is caring for the needs of the helpless. So essential that it's actually an identity check. It reveals to us whether we share the same heart as our Father above. Tame tongues and care for the helpless are the fruits of those who do the word. But there's one more thing they do. They keep unpolluted. See it in the word there? If you're anything like me, you find this really hard. And you find it hard because every single day we are bombarded with things that stain and pollute. Work, school, uni, gym, Facebook, Netflix, free-to-air TV, newspapers, commercial radio, all these things cause us to sin in some way. And so how are we going with that? How are we going at fighting the temptation to worship the things of this world? To, to worship money and intimacy and power and prestige and education and relationships and work and travel and experiences. All the things that our friends always talk about and are so excited by and live their lives for. Things that are good gifts but so often become the object of our worship and they just leave us dirty and strained. Friends, authenticity is what we must strive for as Christians. And that is really hard. But let me remind you this morning of who you are saved by. The Lord Jesus spent 33 years on this earth listening to the words of the Father, accepting the word in his heart and doing them. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He raised the dead. His record of his perfect work is your record through faith. And so let, let Christ's loving service, the one who died on that cross above, on your behalf, to move you to hear the word, accept the word, and do it this week. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the incredibly practical letter that is the letter of James. Thanks for showing us the marks of, of real authentic faith. God, we ask this morning that those who may not know you will be moved to accept your word and bear fruit. But Lord, for the rest of us, we ask that you would move us to hear the word more often, to accept your word with greater humility, and to do your work, your word with greater zeal. For we ask it in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen.